This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Good morning, folks. It's good to be here again with you. I was going to say see you, but I can't see you. You can see me. It's, uh, it's always a joy to be able to share the scriptures and to share the Word of God in a way that uh, we can understand it and also that we can be challenged from it. And that's what's happening this morning. Uh, and this is a big challenge that's been given to me by the Lord. I really do not know exactly why the Lord wanted me to go to the book of Jude, but uh, uh, when the other associate pastor, Reverend Thomas, uh, went to Philemon, uh, I'd already told him I was going to do Jude because that morning, that very morning we talked about it, that was the morning the Lord said, go to Jude. So as I looked at this, I realized that uh, I wasn't sure how this was all going to tie in together. But as Aaron put uh, left off in Phyllis in Philemon, excuse me, uh, last Sunday, he preached about fractured relationships and reconciliation. My point today is that after reconciliation with one another and also with the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to stand strong in our faith. And that's basically what the book of Jude is saying to us. Uh, this was not the original thought that Jude had, but as God worked with him and the Lord spoke to him and the Holy Spirit moved on him, he had to go to this particular portion of script, uh, write this portion of scripture so that people could realize that in the church those days that some things were going wrong. And oftentimes as we look at these things, we look at ourselves and we see ourselves in this same picture. I'm not sure that's true here today, but as we look at this, we'll see how uh, everything works together. So uh, we need to st stand strong in our faith. Our lead pastor, Reverend Mike Farley, was and is doing a series about being sojourners here in the face of the earth, and that is true. Uh, the songwriter, again, as I've reminded others, is we're pilgrims through this barren land. And boy, is it barren today. Uh, we're facing so many things. So if you're a Christian this morning, you're just passing through this foreign land because your citizenship isn't really in America, although physically it is, but spiritually your relationship is with the kingdom of God. And what you leave behind in this world, speaking spiritually, is very important. And Jude emphasizes this fact. You see, today we think we live to ourselves, and we do not live to ourselves. We live to everybody that's around us, be it our families, be it our church family, be it our community. I mean, lots of things, the way we act, the things we say, the things we do, they they re, they set up an example for what uh, we are as far as Christians are concerned. And so it was necessary for Jude to go to the church at this time and to speak to those that were there and kind of give them uh, an idea of how they could stand strong in the faith. And so we're going to begin by looking at the book of Jude. Now, there's only one chapter, so it's not an, a lengthy one. 
And I'm not going to go through the whole chapter today because I have next Sunday as well. And so we're going to break this up into two parts. And the first part is the first seven verses and then the last two verses. Now, the last two verses you'll hear again next week because that's kind of the benediction that Jude gives to the people in the churches. But as we look at verses 1 through 7, there are several things that we notice. But first of all, let me just uh, share it with you, and then we'll come back and, and we'll outline it for you so that you have a better understanding. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked uh, were marked out for his for this condemnation, excuse me, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. May God add his blessings upon this, his word. We'll cover the last two verses uh, towards the end of the message. As we look at this, there's three things that I want you to see in the first two verses. One is that you're called, you're sanctified, that's a big word, and you're preserved. Now, let's look at you're called first. Throughout the New Testament, we find serious warnings about impending apostasy. Well, there's another word that we don't use very often. And what do you think apostasy, apostasy means? Well, let me give you a definition. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says uh, apostasy means backstabber, means betrayer, means double crosser or double dealer. It means serpent, or it means like we say, some people are a snake in the grass, or a turncoat. It is a person who abandons a cause or an organization, usually without a good reason. Some of those scriptures that warn against false prophets, and obviously I don't have time to read all of those. Uh, let me give you those, though. Matthew 24, 11 through 13, Acts chapter 20, 29 through 30, and 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. Those are warnings against apostasy. And you say, why in the world would you talk about apostasy in the church? 
Well, let me tell you, I've been in ministry for a long time, and there were places that I have seen exactly what we're talking about, backstabbers, double-crossers, double-dealers, going behind uh, the proper folks in the church that should be making decisions and causing trouble, all of those things. That's apostasy. That's going against the things that uh, God really wants us to do. And Jude was forced to change his original purpose to deal with the crisis in the church. How do we know that? He says, well, he says here, uh, mercy and peace, beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, that was the original topic that he was going to write about. But because of what was going on, all of this nonsense in the church, and it is nonsense, it's sin, it's terrible, it's things against God, because this was happening in the church, Jude changed as the Holy Spirit gave him uh, reason to change. He changed to this particular kind of message. And so uh, there was a crisis in the church. And whenever there is a crisis in the church, my dear friends, let me tell you that uh, it takes away from doing ministry for Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian today and you're serving the Lord, if you get involved in a lot of apostasy or a lot of mess that really doesn't have any great value, salvation value or any other kind of value, or it causes division, then we need to realize that ungodly people have crept in and led us astray. The problem was the danger of others being led away from the faith, and that was one of the things that Jude was concerned about. We don't know how strong everybody is spiritually. We can only hope and pray. There's some people that we know are very grounded in their faith. We know that they're very spiritually sound. They believe in the Lord. They pray every day. They read their Bibles. They, they do things for the Lord and, and serve in the church and so on and so forth. Yes, there are people that we do know that are standing strong in the faith. But then there's those that we're not sure. And that doesn't put anybody down. It just says that we don't see the same things. Uh, and, and that is not a problem for me, but it might be a problem for you because you might not be doing exactly what God wants you to do. When I was a young fellow about 13 years old and got saved, and then at about age 17, I knew the Lord was calling me into ministry. I didn't pay any attention to that. I mean, I knew he was calling me, but I said, no, no, Lord, you got this all wrong. We need to change this. We need to go. I wanted to be a, a state trooper in Pennsylvania. That was my goal. And I eventually, as I, at 17, I graduated from high school and I got all the papers signed by a chief of police and everything that I needed to hand in to do an application for a state trooper in the state of Pennsylvania. But let me tell you what, that never happened. The application didn't even go in because before I got a chance to send that application in, God called me into the ministry. I struggle with that. Even though I didn't send that application in, I, there were three years that I was still struggling and running away from this call. In a sense, I was doing wrong because I wasn't listening to God. I wasn't listening to the Holy Spirit. You see, the reality of it is you've been called by the Lord with a holy calling. 
Now, how do we know that? Well, we go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. That's where Paul is in his writing this particular letter. He says, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Even though Paul wasn't necessarily happy about being in the jail and suffering all the things that he was suffering, he was willing to do that for the cause of the kingdom of God. And verse 9 says, who, was, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. No, Paul wasn't happy in the prison. He'd rather be out there preaching the gospel and, and reaching folks and building churches and so on and so forth like he did before he got thrown into prison. That's what he'd rather do. But even at that, he says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the ministry. Go ahead and continue what I have taught you to do and realize that you're called with a holy calling. The second thing that you see in this particular verse, in these particular verses, is you're sanctified. And I said at the beginning, this is a big term. Well, it's a term that you don't hear very much of, uh, only in the church for the most part. But let me tell you what, it could be meaningful in, in the workplace too. It could be meaningful anywhere in life because sanctified, even though it seems like a big term and it seems to be a church term and it seems to be a spiritual term, what does it mean? It's got a very simple meaning, folks. It just means that as a believer, you're set apart to do the work of God on the face of this earth. We oftentimes sit back and when you get to be my age, I want to think that uh, I've done my part and, and uh, you know, it's up to these young fellows to do things now and, and just let them go ahead and work as hard as I did back in the years. But you know what? God hasn't let me do that. I'm still here preaching and I'm still here helping in this church at West Concord Baptist Church. You see, if you're sanctified, if you're set apart with that holy calling that God has given to you, then you're busy working for the Lord and you won't, will not have time to be involved in apostasy. The third thing we see here is that we are preserved. What does that mean? Here's another simple uh, definition. It means you're guarded. You're guarded from loss. You're guarded from injury in your faith. Nobody can take your faith away from you. God says nothing, no principalities, no powers, nothing on the face of this earth can be taken away from you. You're preserved. You're, you're guarded from loss of your faith. You can't lose your faith. Now, you may get weaker in your faith, which would be a dirty shame, but your faith will hang in there with you if you'll hang in there with it. The second major point is engage earnestly for the faith. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, as we look at verses 3 and 4, it says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died that my faith can be strong. Jesus died on the cross so that your faith can be strong. But the death wasn't the main thing. The real thing was that after three days, he resurrected from the grave. God had this all planned. And we're so fortunate today to realize that God has made a way for us to get our debt paid, a debt that we could never have paid. It's not a debt of money. It's uh, a debt of spiritual life. We go about doing our things. We go about creating apostasy in the church. We go around gossiping and doing the different things that we do. We should not do that. It is not scriptural. It is sin, folks. Sin, S-I-N, it is sin. And as we look at this, then we find that what we have to do is we have to be engaged in warfare against the devil. Now that's where it really comes down to where they say the rubber meets the road. This is where we really get involved because here are some things that the devil does to the believer trying to get them to follow him rather than follow God. The first thing some people will say is and will deny the all-sufficiency of the scriptures. We have that amongst pastors, clergymen, those who have studied and those who have looked at the word and preached the word. They sometimes say that all of the word of God is, is it does have error. We do not believe that. We believe that all of the word of God is inspired and it is the inerrant, which means without error, word of God. I mean, stop and think about that. If the devil can get you to think about the Word of God, the things that he has written here in our Bible, that to guide us and to direct us, it's like a road map. It takes us where we need to go. If we begin to think about it's not all sufficient, folks, we're in trouble. We're in trouble because there's a lot of things that you'll read into the Word of God that's just simply not there. Secondly, some will pervert the doctrine of grace. How can such a loving God punish us for doing wrong? That's a good question. A very good question. And also for doing wrong, leading others astray. You see, grace gives people excuse to sin, they say. Some have a very serious disregard for the word of God. The grace of God does not give anybody the right to sin. It's just the opposite. We don't deserve the grace of God. He gives it to us freely because he loves us, because he wants to have fellowship with us, and he wants us to have fellowship with him, and because he wants us to help do the work here on the face of this earth until Jesus comes and claims his bride, which is the church, the believer, that's going to happen. You may not think so sometimes, but it's going to happen. 
I can rest assured of that and rest assured to tell you that it's going to take place. We also see that some will deny God's authority. Who is God anyway, right? I mean, we've got a brain. We've got, we're able to move around and do things and think for ourselves. And we're able to take the money that uh, we have and, and spend it on whatever way we want to spend it. And we're able to do what we want to do. And after all, what does God have to do with this? I'll have to admit to you there were times when I didn't look at God's authority to do some things, and I did them, and it was totally wrong, number one. And secondly, it would have been a whole lot better if I would have believed in God's authority and talked to him about it and did what he told me to do. You see, people lack respect for God's word. Today, people lack respect for God's minister. For the ministry in general, as a matter of fact. Now, how do I know that? It is a fact that several thousand pastors are left go of their church positions every single month. We're talking about thousands, folks. If we respected the pastor, now that's one thing I will say about West Concord Baptist Church. I believe that our church respects our pastor. He's a good man. He preaches the word and he does what he's supposed to do. And he doesn't only preach it, but he lives it. That's, that's so amazing that we would get a pastor that would just continue to live the word as well as preach the word. But people today have lost respect for that. A minister today is just any Joe walking down the street. You know, and it is true that we're all ministers. There's, that's true. The scripture says we are. It also says that we're all saints. But then if that's true and you want to accept that, why don't you start acting like it instead of doing some of the things that we do? Listen, remember, whenever there's a finger pointed out, there's three more coming back at me. I am convicted by this. This is not something that I'm just saying. This is something that is really coming home to me as well. So how do we engage earnestly for the faith? Well, let me share with you how you can do it. The first thing you need to do is pray. Well, I don't know how to pray. Why don't you know how to pray? You know how to talk to me. You know how to talk to your wife or husband. You know how to talk to your children. You know how to talk to your boss at work. Or if you're a boss, you know how to talk to your workers. You know how to talk to people in schools and every place else. If you can talk to anybody else in the face of this earth, then you can talk to God because there is, aside from the fact that it's a spiritual talk, there is no difference. You can talk to God. The very same thing I'm saying to you, I can say to God. And God would say, amen, brother, keep preaching it because there are so many things that people are not paying any attention to in the year of 2020. And we're seeing a lot of things happening these days. We need to get back to where we need to be, spiritually and every other way. The next thing we need to do is not only pray, but we need to read God's Word. A good many people will be part of read God's Word when they come to Sunday school. They'll read God's Word because they have their Bibles in the sanctuary. They'll read God's word if they attend a Bible study somewhere else. But what about home? Now, 
I don't do a lot of reading at home because I have an office here at the church, and I do most of my Bible reading here at the church. I'm here every day except for Saturday for the most part, and I might take a day off through the week, but I'm here, and I study my Word, the Word of God, this, this book right here, while I'm in my office while I'm studying for leading Bible studies and preaching the Word of God. This, just, this message doesn't just happen. It has to be prepared. Now you, you pray, you read God's Word. The next thing you need to do is you need to attend a Bible-believing church and ministry. Why do I say it that way? Because there are a lot of churches in this world country, and even in our area, that truly do not preach the Word of God. They uh, will, will open up a verse of Scripture, and they'll start preaching, and the next thing you know what happens is they've added their own thing to it, and they've distorted everything that God meant for, the, for you to hear and for them to preach. I'm not saying that there aren't good ones, because there's a lot of good ones, a lot of good pastors, a lot of pastors that will preach the gospel. But let's understand that there are other pastors in this area even, more so in the United States, but in this area there are preachers that are not preaching the word. That's why I'm saying you need to get into a Bible-believing church and ministry. If you're part of our church, great. If you're not, we want you to be. This is a Bible-believing church. We believe what the Word of God says. The other thing that we need to do is we need to use all the weapons mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. And here's what it says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So you see, God provides for us an armor. He, he presents us with uh, different things. And let's see what it says. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This armor, we're talking about standing strong in the faith. This armor helps you do that. And here's what verse 14 says. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, which, will, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Listen, the devil's not going to leave you alone. If you think that's going to happen, you, you're just dreaming. You need to wake up and see that the devil's going to attack you and attack you and attack you and attack you. And then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplication. In other words, really mean what you're doing. Get involved in that, in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. God didn't uh, save us and then all of a sudden left us out to hang. He's made all kinds of provisions for us. Avoid the quarreling in the church. And anywhere else, apply gentleness. Uh, we can learn from that. Be patient. That's something that's not one of my great virtues is patience. When I think something needs to be done, I expect it to be, 
to be done. When my children were growing up and I said to them as their father, uh, we'll use my son, say, Rich, I want you to go out and mow the lawn. I didn't mean that 15 or 20 minutes or a half an hour later, go out and mow the lawn. I mean, get up and go out and mow the lawn. Now, uh, Rich didn't mow the lawn very much, I'll be honest with you, but the reality of it is when I told him to do something, he knew that I meant business. I was never mean to my children, but I meant for them to do what they were told to do. Gentleness, patience, and exercise humility, and that's the hardest thing that we have in our lifetime is to exercise humility. Humble pie, they talk about. Have you ever eaten humble pie? Well, let me tell you about it. It doesn't taste very good. And it, it has a funny taste, you know, because that's not what we oftentimes think we are. But God's word reminds us that we are to be humble. We say things and do things in the church and in our families that we should never say or do. We get angry, we get upset, we, we say things that we are ashamed of saying, that sometimes we have to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry. But here's the thing, folks. Jude is writing here so that the church will be the church, not all of this other garbage that he's telling us to stay away from. And it is garbage. It's garbage enough it'll send you to hell if you're not saved from it. Let me put it that way. If you've never been saved and you, you continue to do those things, let me tell you what. The reality of it is you're not going to make it to the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you. But I've heard people say, oh, well, if I go to hell, there's going to be a lot of people there with me. Let me tell you something about that. There might be a lot of people with you, but you're not going to have big parties. And you're not going to be shooting and hollering and yelling for your favorite football team or baseball team or any other team. What you're going to end up doing is, as the scripture says, you're going to be, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know what that means? That means it's going to be ugly. It's going to be hot. It's going to be burning hot. And can you imagine, just this summer has been hot enough for me. And I don't think there were very few days that we hit 100, but it was too hot for me. I love this kind of weather we're having now. And I praise God for it. But, you know, I don't want to go to hell for more reasons than just because it's going to be hot there. And I'll be burning forever and ever and ever and ever. And if I don't like the heat now that we have to live with every summer, then God knows I'm not headed for hell. Thank you, Lord, for that. Closing off with the third point, and that's reminders of God's righteousness, righteous condemnation, verses 5 through 7 says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Did you hear that? The very people that he brought out of the land of Egypt, he freed them of being slaves, but because of their disobedience and their disregard for who he was, and he begged them and begged them and begged them to recognize him as the God 
that he is. And they refused to do it. And because they refused to do it, great turmoil and great destruction came to them. Verse 6 says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he was reserved in everlasting chains. He, excuse me, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering and vengeance of eternal fire. So you think I was kidding you when I was talking about hell was going to be hot. It says eternal fire in verse 7 here. This is the word of God, folks. This isn't Richard Reed's word. This is the word of God. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they were disobedient. Many of the Israelites that came out of Egypt died in the wilderness because of their disobedience and their doing things that, against God that they shouldn't have done. Angels who sin against God are in everlasting chains under darkness for the great judgment day to come. And when that day comes, those angels are not going to be happy. They're, they are. They should have been serving God, not going where Lucifer was, who was a beautiful angel, one of the most prettiest angels there ever was in the world, in God's creation, I should say. And these angels followed him. It's my understanding, according to the word of God, that he took one-third of the angels that were in heaven at the time, and because he wanted to be better than God or more like God, he wanted to be God, God ended up throwing him out of heaven. And he took one-third of the angel force with him. Those angels are going to have eternal judgment. They are. And then uh, we find the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because their sins were very grievous. Uh, you can go to Genesis chapter 18 and read about that. I'm not going to take the time because it's time for us to close. But uh, take, go into Genesis 18 and read about Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not going to get into the details of it, but I'm going to tell you what. They couldn't find but just a handful of people that loved God. Everybody else there were full of sin and hatred and doing the things that they shouldn't be. It says here that they were full of immorality. They had given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. I'll let you interpret that. And are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Today we have some of those same issues going on in America. And although we love those folks that are involved in things like this, and we do love you, that doesn't mean that we agree with you nor does it mean that we're going to accept your behavior. We're not. But we're going to love you. Why? Because God loves you. And it's my responsibility, not only as a pastor, but as a Christian, to love you with agape love, which is the best supreme love that anybody can give. Folks, we love you. We appreciate you. 
Folks, keep all of this in mind as warnings. This is not putting finger, pointing fingers at anybody. It doesn't imply that we're experiencing anything like what was happening in Jude's day. But let's not forget it either. It could happen, and I've seen some of this in the church. In closing, I want to share the last two verses with you. And here's what they say. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, some translations say falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You're going to be given to God. You're going to appear before God faultless because Jesus has made it so. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, listen, you're not near as smart as God is. You may think so. And thank God that you have a good brain and you can use it, but also use it to understand that God alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. I used to use those two verses every Sunday in closing out the worship service. Why? Because, you see, if we do our part in maintaining a real relationship to Jesus Christ, all will end well. That is really the glorious message of the gospel. Next week, we're going to get together again, and we're going to finish the book of Jude. In the meantime, you read it. And then when I emphasize certain things, you've already read it. It'll help you to understand it even more. And my saying to you today is God bless you all. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.